Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us tonight, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, we just continue to have a great Friends Day. Uh, we appreciate each one of our members that have worked so hard uh, to make the day a success. Uh, Lawrence Gammon and Doug Perry have worked countless hours, and we appreciate their leadership in this day. And we appreciate uh, several others that have also worked some long hours. And we pray that uh, God will receive the glory for all that's done and that much spiritual good has been done and accomplished today. And let's make sure that we continue in prayer and in our activities and support and encouragement uh, to build upon uh, whatever momentum that, that has been gained today. Let's make sure that we do everything we can do uh, that the most comes out of it. Rebecca Chapman has lost an envelope uh, that has quite a bit of money in it. And so if any of you uh, know where that envelope is, it would be of a great help if uh, you could turn that in uh, to one of the elders or one of the ministers or to Rebecca. Uh, and, if, uh, and if you happen to see an envelope lying around, and, and uh, take a look and see if that's uh, the envelope that's missing. And there would be a lot of joy found over uh, finding that lost pearl. Uh, we want to highly commend several of you that came out yesterday to make the teddy bear workshop a tremendous success. Uh, why don't you raise your hand? There were about 50 of you that came out, and they all ages and uh, just a good mix of hardworking folks. And from, from start to finish, around 250 bears were done, and about 600 more were in progress along the way throughout the day. And so it's exciting, and especially uh, this is exciting because we're taking a lot of these bears to El Salvador, and it's exciting to go down there and see those big brown eyes just lighten up, and uh, to them, it's a great, great treasure. And so it's going to be exciting to be able to go and, and to pass those bears out, and we want to thank every one of you that had a part in that. Uh, that ministry continues to do tremendous things, and we appreciate Patty and so many that work in that. This afternoon was our first meeting that was really a, the, the large group of folks that were going to El Salvador. It's exciting to be a part of that uh, meeting. It's exciting to think that a month from today, uh, that's where we'll be. That's in four weeks where we'll be worshiping the ones that are going down there and serving God together. It's exciting. Be sure and be prayerful about it. Uh, be prayerful in every aspect of the work. Let's make sure that we do not enter into something so importantly without realizing that we must depend upon God in every aspect of it. Be sure and whisper a prayer of thanksgiving as David already has uh, tonight for God blessing today. We don't do these things on our own. It's only by the blessing and the mercy of God that we have the opportunity to be a part of such wonderful days like today. Tonight we think about friendship, and as we think about Peter, I want you to also realize we're thinking about also in conjunction with that, Peter's relationship with Jesus. So as we study about friends in the disloyal category, we are going to recognize that Peter at times was very loyal, and at other times he struggled with being loyal even to his friend Jesus. But then on the other hand, what's interesting as we study this, we can see how Jesus dealt with it. 
You see, we can see things that we ought not to do when we study Peter, but on the other hand, we can see things we ought to do as we study that friendship on the side of Jesus. You see, it's easy, perhaps, to be a good friend if that friend is loyal to us. But think about Jesus for just a moment. He was the one that was denied. He was the one that was betrayed. He was the one that all of them turned their back and ran at the very time that he was being arrested. And so then we think about it from an aspect of not the Savior of the world, which is a wonderful way to think about it, but for just a moment we think about it just as a friend. How would you feel if your friends forsook you? How would you feel if your friends denied you? And so tonight we'll think about many of these things from these aspects as we think about friendship. Am I a loyal friend or am I disloyal? First, let's think about the relationship by introduction that Jesus and Peter had together. Some of these things will link right back to a week ago on Sunday morning as we studied about Andrew and his relationship with Jesus. The first thing as we think about Peter, you remember that four times in the Bible we see a list of apostles, a complete list of apostles. All four times Peter is mentioned the very first one. And as a matter of fact, one time it even begins by saying the first Simon, also called Peter. Now, with that, we see the word first, and it's not just saying chronological order. In other words, he just happens to be the one that's mentioned first four times in a row. No, the word first there means chief in order. In other words, he is not one that just appears to be in the Scriptures, the leader of the apostles. He's one that the Scriptures themselves say he was the leader of the apostles. Now, I know I'm stating the obvious, but I want to drive this home when we think about relationships and friendships. If Jesus' closest followers on the earth were the apostles, and then the leader of the apostles was Peter, think about how close that should make them as friends. And when we read through the Scriptures, we see that friendship developing. We see them being as close to each other as almost anyone was to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, when we read in the Scriptures, the inner circle. Remember, we talked about that a week ago on Sunday morning. Oftentimes, we relate that inner circle to Peter, Andrew, James, and John. It's two sets of brothers. But still, as we go into that inner circle, there seemed to still be one that was closer to Jesus, one that spoke out more often, one that was, in a sense, the leader of the pack, even of that inner circle, along with Jesus Christ. And because of that, we quickly recognize Peter as being one that was eager. He was aggressive, but yet also, he wasn't consistent. We see times where he just seemed to take the wrong step. He seemed to say the wrong thing. Someone has once described him as being one that, that his mouth was foot-shaped, a foot-shaped mouth. That might not be exactly fair to say about Peter, but the truth is he did struggle with that consistency that no doubt God wanted him to grow into. And as we begin this lesson tonight, I want us to note something. The point that I want to be an underlying message is I want you to note that I believe that Peter became a better friend, more loyal throughout his life. I believe that the loyalty of Peter to his friend Jesus, even though Jesus had ascended into heaven, was much greater when he pens the last few words of Second Peter that he wrote. I believe that he had learned how to be a better friend to even other apostles and other people that were his peers of that day. And the truth is, think about this. How old are you? 
Are you in your teens? Are you in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s? The truth is, if I haven't learned how to be a better friend 10 years from now, I'm not doing something right. Now, we can just act out of pride and arrogance and pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, I'm a good friend right now. I don't have to work on that. Baloney. You've got someone you've already offended last week or someone you've disappointed last month. You have somebody that's already thinking, you know, they really hurt me in the past. None of us are perfect. None of us have this friendship so figured out that we can say in the area of friendship, perfect on that one. No improvement needed. Every one of us needs to improve in this area, at least in some way. And so it's interesting to, struggle, to see and to study a man that struggled at times in this area with the best friend that's ever walked the face of this earth, and that is Jesus Christ. Let's think about number one this evening. Jesus gave Peter a nickname. When we read in the Scriptures, we know that Peter's name was Simon Barjona. But yet when Andrew, that link that brought him to Jesus Christ that we read about in John, the first chapter, when we read about that, in verse 42 we read, And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus looked at him, he said, You are Simon, the son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, the Aramaic name. Peter is the Greek name, which is translated a stone. Now that's interesting, isn't it? He said, we're going to call you something different. Your parents gave you a name. I'm going to give you another name. Have you ever heard about coaches that have done that? It's said that Tony Lasoto used to do that with the Los Angeles uh, Dodgers. When he saw someone that was just the opposite of what he wanted them to be, especially in personality and competition. And if someone was timid and, and he wanted them to be more courageous on the mound, he'd give them a nickname that was just the opposite of what they really were. And the success stories are amazing of how many individuals seem to grow into the nickname that they were given. I can't tell you exactly why Jesus chose to give a nickname that meant rock, stone. We think about something that is solid and secure to an individual that seemed to be so volatile. He seemed to be anything except solid at that point in his life. And I can't help but wonder, is that what Jesus was doing? Was saying to him, son, this is what I want you to grow into. Friend, I'm going to stay by your side until you become this. But the bottom line is he gave him a nickname that just didn't seem to describe him. But after all, wasn't that what he wanted him to be? Didn't he want him to be that rock? When I think about Peter being a rock, I can't help but think about the passage in Ephesians, the second chapter. He is describing the relationship of the church growing together, but the church has to be built upon a foundation. And notice as we read this, we don't have a slide or reference to this on our slides, but notice in Ephesians, the second chapter, we're picking up in verse 20 in the middle of a sentence that's talking about us being saints and, and of the household of God. And then verse 20 says, having been built on the foundation 
What is the church built upon? The foundation of the apostles and prophets and Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. Isn't that interesting that Jesus knew that the church was going to be built upon the apostles and the very first one that comes to Him, the one that's going to be the leader, first meaning the leader, the most important one, the leader of the apostles comes up to Him in the very beginning... He had no way of knowing he was going to be that apostle, that he was going to be that leader. But before he could ever know that was going to be his calling, Jesus says, I'm going to name you rock. I'm going to name you the solid one. And he was so far from that. When we read in the scriptures, we read that no one was rebuked more often by Jesus than Peter. We read that although he confessed Jesus more strongly than any of the others, no one else denied him more openly and verbally. The only exception clause that could be put there is the betrayal of Judas. When he took such a stand to protect Jesus and to seemingly go all out for Jesus... Jesus never called any other disciple of His Satan. Get behind me. No other apostle was so bold to rebuke Jesus except for Peter. The harshest words that Jesus ever spoke to apostles, He spoke to Peter. The kindest words that He spoke to apostles... He spoke to Peter. The man that's mentioned more often in the New Testament than any other man in the Gospels except for Jesus Christ Himself is Peter. What's the point? I'm just trying to to get your mind spinning here thinking about here's a man that seemed to be all over the charts. Is he the best friend of Jesus? Yes. Is he one that denies Him? Yes. Is he solid? Yes. Is he not solid? He'll deny? Yes. You see the point? Especially early in his life. He seemed to be everywhere. But yet Jesus walks up to him and says, I want to name you Rock. Why? I want us to learn this one simple point as we move on in just a moment. If there's anything that I can learn from Jesus, I can learn how important it is to try to bring out the very best in our friends. If you and I want to concentrate on their weaknesses and we want to capitalize on that and and we want to continually harp on those things, we can because every friend we have has those weaknesses. may not be the same, but every friend has weaknesses. Isn't it wonderful to learn from a friend like Jesus? A friend that could go to an individual and say, I'm not going to capitalize on your weakness. I'm going to support you through those times and I'm going to capitalize on what I think you can become. I think you can become a rock. Did Jesus stay with him? Did they go through their ups and downs? Now, we've already alluded to several, but let's take just a moment to read a passage of Scripture that really reveals a few. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. On the slide here, as we think about the highs and lows that they went through, we're going to see two situations. The bottom one, I assume you probably know pretty well. The time that it was foretold that he would deny Jesus, and later on he went and denied Jesus. 
will build just, if you will, kind of on the fact that hopefully we know that story pretty well. Was that a time of highs and lows? Absolutely. Think how difficult that was. As first Peter is saying to Jesus, I'd go with you anywhere. I'd follow you anywhere. And finally Jesus says, no, you wouldn't follow me anywhere. The truth is you're going to deny me three times before the rooster crows twice in the morning. Wow. What highs and lows they went through. But let's read one here as we go to Matthew, the 16th chapter. Look at this high, beginning at verse 13. Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And so they said, Now some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Now who's going to answer? If you didn't even know this story, who's going to answer? Who was the leader? Who was the one that was aggressive? Who was the one that had to jump out of the boat first? We know the answer to that. Peter's going to be the one to answer, and he's going to say, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed it to you, but my Father who is in heaven. If you're in the auditorium class this morning, one of the things that we tried to drive home was how beautiful it is to have a message, a word from God. A message from God. You see, that's what Jesus is telling Simon here. Blessed are you. You didn't learn this from men. You're learning from God. Friends, we ought to want Jesus to say that same blessing to you and I today. Blessed, you didn't learn that from men. You've learned that from the pages of God's Word. And so then, notice the promise that's going to be given to him in verse 18. And I say to you that you are Peter. In other words, you are that rock. And on this rock, talking about the solid confession of faith that he's made there, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Note this promise. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What a high. Can you imagine how that would boost your friendship? Who are people saying that I am? Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Who do you say I am? Peter had no doubt. We know who you are, Lord. You're the Son of the living God. Peter, that's wonderful. It won't be long before the day of Pentecost. And I want to give you the keys to unlock the kingdom of heaven, to invite all of mankind, not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but all of mankind into the kingdom of heaven. Think about that moment. Think how Peter must have left from there thinking, exactly what does that mean? I'm going to be given keys to the kingdom. Think how much he must have loved Jesus and loved spending time with Jesus and how exciting it was for Peter and Jesus to be together the very next paragraph. How can we go from such a high to such a low? Let's read on, beginning at verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show to His disciples that He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. Then Peter took Him aside and began to rebuke Him. Can you imagine a friend of Jesus rebuking the only perfect man that's ever walked this earth. And he began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. And he turned and he said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, 
but of the things of men. Peter and Jesus had their highs whenever they were on the same page spiritually. They had their low times whenever they were on two different planes spiritually. Jesus, I just want you to know this talking about going to Jerusalem and dying, you can forget that. We're not allowing that to happen. Oh, Peter, you're thinking physically. You've lost vision spiritually. You're making the wrong decision. Your mouth is speaking words of Satan. It's offensive to me. Get behind me. Have you ever noticed that the times you and I do things that harm friendships and relationships, it's always because we have left doing the right thing spiritually and we've started doing something from a physical, a carnal, or a temporal standpoint? Think about that. We make mistakes when we look short-sighted into relationships instead of eternal. We make mistakes when we start viewing everything based on a physical standpoint instead of a spiritual standpoint. We have to admire the relationship that they had. But one thing becomes very obvious. It's the times that Peter concentrated on the physical, the times that their relationship was strained and stressed. But now here is a real question. How would Jesus deal with all this? You see, from this point that we're leaving right now, I want you and I to take one simple lesson from this point. Let's make every decision in dealing with our friends based upon what is right and best spiritually. But now let's go to this third and final point and let's think about this. What do we do when a friend is disloyal to us? What do we do when we expect that friend to be disloyal? Look with me, if you will, to Luke, the 22nd chapter. To me, these are four very interesting verses here in Luke, the 22nd chapter. As we begin reading in verse 31, this is Luke's account of the fact that Peter is going to deny the Lord those three times. But he tells us something here in his account that is quite interesting. It reminds me of reading the book of Job, and especially the first few chapters of Job, where we see Job actually asking we see Satan asking to be allowed to tempt Job. And this is what we read here. We're in Luke, the 22nd chapter, in verse 31. The Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he might sift you as wheat. Satan wanted to know what was just chaff and what was substance in the life of Simon. Satan wanted to be able to prove maybe he's not for real. Think about it. This is late in Jesus' ministry. Satan was wanting to prove to Jesus and to God and to all the world, I've told you he's not for real. Watch how he's bounced around the spiritual spectrum. Look at him. I can prove to you. Just let me work on him for a little while. Let's read on. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. 
we see five things that are remarkable here in the way Jesus deals with a friend that he knows is about to be disloyal to him. Number one, he deals with wisdom. He's not going to enable Peter. It's remarkable. God and Jesus allowed Satan to sift him. He didn't say, no, don't touch him. No, don't tempt him. And said, they said, you can work on it. Trying of our faith works patience. You see, the bottom line is that if we're going to deal right with our friends, one thing that we need to realize is that it's not always best to be there and to be that safety net. Now, I don't know if you're with me or if you're daydreaming. I don't know if you checked out or checked in, but I ask you to check back in real quick for an important message. Always being a safety net for your friend is not the way Jesus always worked. There comes a time where good friends let friends suffer the consequences of the choices they make. Just because your friend didn't study for a test last night doesn't mean you help them cheat tomorrow. Just because a friend is starting to get in a financial upside-down situation doesn't mean the right thing to do is continually lend them money. Friends, we could go on and on with examples, but I think you see what I'm saying. To be a good friend doesn't mean that we always go in and enable individuals to continue situations and actions that are threatening and destroying their life. Well, what do we do? Number one, we have to learn to act in wisdom, just as Jesus did here. But number two, did you notice the love that He had for Him? I want you to look back at this, and I want you to remember, this is Jesus saying this, and look at verse 32, and let's read that phrase at the beginning of 32. Jesus is saying to Peter, but I've prayed for you. That gives me cold chills to read it. It means a whole lot to me when you tell me, I've prayed for you. I know several of you pray for me and my family, and I appreciate that deeply. That's one of the greatest things I believe that you could do for my family. Can you imagine Jesus looking over at you and saying, you know, you're about to go through a real hard time. Satan's going to sift you a little bit. But I just want you to know, I'm praying for you. I don't know anything that says I love you more than someone genuinely praying for you. Because it says I have you in the heart of my approach as I approach the throne of God Almighty. When we honestly are praying sincerely for other people, we're saying I love God. I want Him in my life, and I want Him and His blessings to be in your life. And we're saying, I love you. And I want a, a strength that is much greater than my own to be in your life. What wisdom He displayed to a friend that was going to be disloyal. What love He displayed. But notice also the spirituality He displayed as He says to him that your faith should not fail. In other words, you could say to Jesus, Jesus, do you want Peter to fail? Absolutely not. It's my prayer that he wouldn't fall. Now this goes back to something we were mentioning on the second point just a moment ago, but let's see it from here again. Really, what kind of friend are we if our friend's faith isn't growing? 
I know a big part of that's their responsibility, but what if I'm a contributing factor to my friend's faith not growing? Shouldn't it be that everyone that I have as a friend ought to know a little bit more about Jesus than what they knew before because they know a brother or a sister of Jesus? They know a child of God? Shouldn't it be that even if it's things of virtue and morality that we ought to be that influence upon them? Wouldn't it be wonderful if our, our acquaintances or our friends, that they cursed less, they drank less, they smoked less, they, they cheated less simply because they knew us? Now, I'm not saying that's going to save their soul, but I'm saying, shouldn't we make an impact in the life of our friends? And then, much more important than just a certain section of morality, what about faith as a whole? Wouldn't it be wonderful if on the day of judgment, we could see friends lining up and hearing Jesus say to them, well done, now good and faithful servant. Because we had befriended them. We had been like Andrew. There was that link to bring them to Jesus Christ. Jesus. His friendships were of a spiritual concern to him. And something just isn't right if my friendships have no spiritual concern to me. But note also, he says, and when you have returned to me. Who's he going to deny? He's going to deny Jesus. Do you see how ironic this lesson is? Peter, let me warn you. You're about to deny me. I'm praying for you. I don't want you to fail. But when you do, I want you to come back. Can you forgive like that? Have you seen individuals that struggle with holding grudges, failing to forgive? Have you noted how difficult it is for them to be good friends? We need to learn to be more like Jesus in the area of forgiveness. And then finally, look at the confidence that he had in Peter in that last phrase when he talks about him returning. He says, strengthen your brethren. Within 50 days after his denial, he's standing before a crowd of 3,000 preaching. And I wonder how many of us would have kind of treated him like a probation period and said, I'll tell you what, I guess I can be a friend to you, but now my kingdom here and, and this work of ministry, I don't know about you. I don't want you touching their lives. What if they start doing what you just did? Look at Jesus' confidence in him. But is that confidence any surprise? No. The day he met him, he said, I'm going to name you a rock. And then even before he denies him, he says, when you come back, I want you to do something. What do you want me to do? I want you to go around and strengthen others. And in John, the 21st chapter, we're not going to turn there now, but if you want to go back and read how this was fulfilled, he took that time to deny Jesus, and Jesus went and had breakfast with him in John 21, and that's how the book of John ends, with him having breakfast and asking him three times, do you love me? First time he says, do you love me more than these? Perhaps motioning to the fishing nets and etc. But then two more times he says, do you love me? And finally he signified what kind of death that Peter would have to, to die because of his commitment to Jesus Christ. Because of his commitment. 
You mean he was going to stop bouncing all over? And he was going to start being solid? Oh, yeah. We study tonight a disloyal friend. And in Jesus, we studied a loyal friend. But don't leave here thinking Peter remained that disloyal friend. I believe that he grew far beyond that. And that's the hope for all of us. Let's make a concentrated effort this week to be a better friend than we've ever been in the past. And Jesus gave us some wonderful examples there in Luke 22. But let's leave here tonight making sure that we're friends with Jesus, that our life is right with Him, that we're saved. And if you haven't been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, won't you do that tonight? Or if you have done that, but yet somewhere you've left your friend, won't you come back to Him tonight and repent of sins and let's confess those before man and, and pray forgiveness if we can help you in any way. Come as we stand, as we sing.